Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And so then I'm like, oh, we've, uh, we haven't spoken to an animal in a while. Let's see what that goat has to say. And the goat's like, I have been toiling in this mine my whole life. <laughs> You know, uh, my father's father toiled in this mine and I thought that I would be free and yet here I am, just another mining goat. Like, And you're just like, oh, man. Hello and welcome to Pocket Buds, the back pocket podcast where I talk to my best buds about video games and stuff. This week, we're talking about Baldur's Gate 3. Let's take a trip back to 1998. James Cameron's Titanic was the biggest movie of the year, Viagra was approved by the FDA, Bill Clinton got impeached, and North Korea adopted a military dictatorship. Are any of those events related? Probably not. In that same year, a game was released. That game was Baldur's Gate, developed by a pre-EA Bioware. The game used a modified version of Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition and took place in the popular D&D campaign setting Forgotten Realms. The gameplay consisted of clicking where you wanted to go, dice rolling to make things happen, and talking your way into and out of things. So, you know, pretty much exactly how you'd expect a gamified version of Dungeons & Dragons to go. Despite D&D being arguably one of the most popular RPGs to exist, Bioware and publisher Interplay actually expected this game to flop. Fergus Urquhart predicted zero sales of the game in Britain. They really made this game and went, great job folks, we will never financially recover from this. Of course, the game did amazing. The low, low expectations that Bioware and Interplay had for sales were exceeded immensely, and literally every single review for the game was a positive one. IGN in 1999 said that it set a standard for what role-playing games should be. In other words, it was an unequivocal and monumental slay. Fast forward 25 years, it's 2023, baby. The world is falling apart. Everything is going pretty stinkily. Not fun. 
However, a light shines at the end of a tunnel. If you walk towards this light, you do not die. Instead, walking towards this light presents you with a monitor, and on this monitor is Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3 was made by Larian Studios, with a license to make it given to them after the success of their previous RPG, Divinity Original Sin 2. The game was released in early access back in 2020 and spent three years there before getting a full release this year. The original team, according to Bioware co-founder Ray Muzika, also used fan feedback during development, which I would argue is the late 90s version of Early Access. Of course, the first Early Access game wouldn't come out until 2009, a la Minecraft. So you could say that the Baldur's Gate series has always had the opinions of its players in mind. You could even say that Baldur's Gate 3 is an argument for why Early Access and looping fans into the development process is a very good thing. I said both of those things right now, so I would know. Much like its predecessors, Baldur's Gate 3 has been received very, very, very positively. Both critics and gamers are losing their minds over the turn-based role-playing game where you can make squishy with a bear and kick a vampire in the nuts. Once again, many believe that the latest Baldur's Gate game is setting a standard for role-playing games. So what's so good about it then? What sets it apart from the rest? Joining me today to explain it is my good friend, Steph Ben Dixon. So how are you feeling? Yeah, good, I think. I think like I go through such, uh, I I feel like I'm swinging wildly between states of being right now. Yeah. And uh, that's okay. That's all right. I think when you're a creative person, you thrive off chaos. Oh my God, absolutely. So like steady state is hard to live with, but um, but chaos is also exhausting. Is there ever really a normal moment in your life when you are a content creator? I don't think I so. I don't think so. No. No. no, I don't think so. I recorded the bonus episode of the Saddle Club episode the other day and I was sitting there ranking horses mm. on my own. Important, important work. Important work. That's, uh, I wouldn't call that a normal moment. And in my brain, it de- I, I wasn't having a normal moment. Yeah. I, I felt myself going insane in that moment and I feel like that's, such a perfect representation of being a content creator because like you're sitting there ranking horses out of 10 and you go okay <laughs> all right it's also an element of like i you know i'm sure a lot of people feel this way in creative spaces where you're having to come up with ideas but like is everything content mm. and i've had a few jobs that i've worked on where i've worked with other content creators some of them not in the gaming space and it's very interesting to kind of get a, a window into what their life is because they're just trying to come up with funny ideas but also react to trends and they don't even have the luxury of it being framed within this specific niche industry that we're in. It's kind of like open slather and I feel like that, that must be a little bit maddening. Baldur's Gate 3, you've been playing that. Oh, my gosh. You've been freaking playing that. Um, Man, this is my, this is my most anticipated – if this doesn't get Game of the Year, like – like I understand everyone loves Zelda and stuff like that and I love that there's a lot of good games and stuff like that. But like this is just and, – and like I don't even know why I said that. I hate Game of the Year. It's an arbitrary mm-hmm. dumb thing. But it's also just like it's just one of the greatest games of all time already and I'm, I'm like yeah. only – I've only scratched the surface of it. And I knew it would be this good because I know what Larian's capable of and I love Divinity Original Sin and they're all just such massive freaking nerds in that studio making a, a love letter to Dungeons & Dragons in the most kind of approachable, cool fun, unexpected, mm. loving way possible. And Do you I'm think just... it's a good translation of Dungeons and Dragons? I think it is in the way that like I think Dungeons and Dragons can be daunting to a lot of people who like I don't I don't play a lot of D D because finding the time to 
regularly meet up with people, like a group of people for a campaign that takes typically hours at a time. I get so worried about letting the team down by not being able to make it or, yeah. you know, I end up being like, oh, I just can't commit. Yeah. And I feel like this makes it so much more approachable. I think also from just like a, a, an attention span perspective, you know, um, Dungeons and Dragons, obviously you don't have the visual aspect of it. You know, you're using your imagination. That's a wonderful thing. Ooh, but yeah. it's a lot easier for me to kind of like get sidetracked and distracted and lose attention and focus mm. and, you know. Um, you're a visual learner. Yeah. yeah. A, a, and it's just harder to kind of stay immersed in it, I think, over long periods of time, at least for my brain. And having a, a, a video game kind of package all of that in a in an accessible, visual, interactive way, I think is a really great alternative for people who like that kind of experience, you know, role-playing, you sort of dice roll, RPG, turn-based combat stuff, thinking outside of the box, puzzle solving of story situations. It kind of packages that for you in such a wonderful, complex, detailed way. It's actually incredible how they've achieved it. Absolutely. How, How far in are you at the moment? Like not very, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I am playing with a four stack of friends, so like cool. all uh, members of our party are, are all players. We're not taking any NPCs with us, um, and I think I want to get through at least Act One and before I start a, a second playthrough with some NPCs, because some of the best story writing I think in the game are the NPC stories that you take with you in your party that I'm not currently experiencing. They're all hanging right. out back at the camp, so that you can still further the story with them in some form, yeah. but you don't forge the same relationships and you don't progress their stories in the same way. Funnily enough, it's actually a lot like the Fire Emblem series, like the more recent mm. Fire Emblem games. And I say the more recent because I only play started playing at the 3DS level of Fire Emblem games. And the way that you would kind of build relationships with your characters that would be part of your party is at the camp. Like when you're out battling, you're out battling. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. happening between you there. But if you uh, want to get yourself a wife or a husband, mm. you know, you got to do that back at camp. Yeah. No funny business. And it's like they're, they're all kind of getting the cliff notes of the decisions you've been making and the, yeah. and the stuff like that. So they're still kind of like they don't just live in a liminal space where they are unaware of what's happening as you progress your adventure. Um, but it's still just not the same detail of storytelling that you get because uh, a lot of that storytelling happens when they're in your party and and you're kind of adventuring together. I think also it's an interesting way to play the game because on one hand uh, with Dungeons and Dragons, you know, the traditional sort of tabletop game, you kind of have to live with every decision you make. You know, this is a game where you can reload saves over and over again and try things and experiment with stuff and then reload saves if you want to play that way. So that does change the dynamic of the game a little bit. But I think also for people who think that maybe being a video game, it doesn't have the same level of uh, surprise and unexpectedness that that you would think, definitely don't underestimate Larian because they have given you incredible tools to just try different things with Mm. and so many different details and character actions that can influence how a decision or an action will go. They've just hidden things within the environment that are just wonderful storytelling devices that most, like 99% of people won't never even find. 
but it's in there for the few people that do it, interact with that thing and investigate or go down that path. We found a um, we found a chest the other day that was uh, had magic wards on it, which is usually like, oh, okay, it's got some good in it. Yeah. Um, so somebody needs to be able to dispel the sort of magic traps on it, and then you need someone who can who can lock pick. Mm. I'm playing a bard, so I have a lot of charisma and a lot of buffs. And for everyone who can contribute a buff, you can as a party add that bonus to someone's uh, initiative roll or attack roll right, or, or whatever. Cool. So as a bard and with a with a pretty stacked party, sometimes anytime I go to lockpick anything, it's like my dice roll and then like a bunch of bonuses that will be added to it as well. And stuff like that. Yeah, 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 cool. yeah. So I do I do pretty well most of the time. We uh, unlocked this chest and opened it, and it just had like a bunch of cutlery in it. And <laughs> I was like, okay, just in and case. Sometimes they do that. Sometimes they'll like make you they'll make you go through like you know, a whole lava pit or whatever and they'll put a chest on the other side. You're like, yeah, and it's like fucking empty or some bullshit and you're like, okay, ha-ha, so funny. So or it has a monster in it or something. <laughs> well, you know, just things like that where they'll just like, they'll troll you. So I was like, oh, okay, this is just one of those ridiculous things where they're like, oh, they've, they've hidden a chest, they've magically yeah. watered it, we've gone to all this trouble, you know, to open this chest and it's just got a bunch of forks in it. Well, can you sell the forks? Well, here's the thing. So um, we held onto the chest for whatever reason. And as we were talking, my friend Shark um, was like, yeah, it's just forks. And as they took the fork out and put it on the ground, it was a helmet. And when they took the second fork out and they put it on the ground, it was a sword. And then the second one was a potion. And I was like, what? And so then we started experimenting, putting different stuff in the chest and anything that you put in the chest looked like cutlery. And as soon as you took it out, it looked like the thing that it actually was. Oh, that's so sick. And I was like, oh, oh my man, God. that's so sneaky but cool. Like, And what Dev was like, how can I make this interesting? How like, can I piss people off yeah. and then immediately give them satisfaction once they realize yeah. what's going on? And so then our minds started racing. We were like, well, if, if we were in a situation where we stole something from like a village, could we put it in the chest and it would just be disguised as cutlery and then we wouldn't get caught like as thieves? Like is, yeah. does it extend that far? Like I wouldn't put it past them, you know? So yeah, there's just like funny little unexpected moments like that where I just think how many people have bypassed the forks and not realized that there was like a badass sword in here as well. <sighs> that would suck. <laughs> and uh, I have never played a Baldur's Gate game and I've never played a Divinity game. I've played some Dungeons and Dragons and mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of role playing. I love being someone other than myself and ultimately always just putting in a lot of myself into the character anyway. Sure. I'm just about to start a campaign where I play a high elf magician mm -hmm. or a high elf wizard. And my name is Larry Ginormous. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a real freak. So I'm very excited for that. I've never played uh, any, any Larian Studios games. So I'd love if you'd be able to walk me through maybe a few of your favorite experiences that you've had in Baldur's Gate so far. Because you started with that. I'd love to hear more. Yeah. For me, I love role playing games because I love uh, narrative storytelling and I love character relationships in video games. I love it when I think just watching how that has developed in video games over the years has been the thing that I'm most excited by. Mm. And good character storytelling and good character, you know, interactions. Yeah. You know, obviously, like it's super fun having romantic relationships, trying to romance characters and yeah. understand, you know, what they want to talk about and what they respond well to and stuff is really cool. But it's also just like getting to know the history and the backstory that somebody has written for this person and understanding how different decisions you make will affect how that character feels about you as yeah. a result and whether or not they're going to align with you on certain things. 
There was a there was definitely when I was playing Divinity Original Sin 2, there was a sexy sorceress in a cave that we were trying to infiltrate at one point mm. who was like I was trying to, I like to talk my way out of things. Yeah. That's g- typically how I like to play games. Like combat is fun, but to me a real win is if you can win someone over uh, with words because I, I just find that a more interesting dance and it feels like a more fun game to me. If I've been listening to what they're saying and I've been picking up what they've been putting down and I can identify what I need to say to kind of talk my way out of it. It is the most fun about being a charismatic character in a Dungeons and Dragons game, totally is talking your way out of things. Yeah, so You're like, but consider this: you could attack us right now, but like, what if we just had a chat? Like, what? A, what? What about a trade? Or like, what totally. do you do for fun? And when you think about like Critical Role and like all the like the most successful memeable moments from Critical Role have been people, you know, having us sort of talking their way out of a surprising in a surprising way out of a fight with a with a funny suggestion or an idea or, or something like that. This uh, particular sorceress that I was facing in Divinity Original Sin 2 in a cave who was, you know, keen to kind of murder all of us, I tried to seduce her and she went for it, man, and she was into it. And I don't know if this was like just part of the way she seduces people or if it was like she was playing me the whole time. Mm. Uh, But she vomited a bunch of bees into my mouth. Whoa. (laughs) And I heaps regretted making out with her. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) And like uh, the other players in my party were like, don't do it, Steph. And I was like, nah, man, she's into me. And this is like 100% going to get us out of this situation. Like lucky you're with such a babe who, um, you know, (laughs) is such a chick magnet because – uh, I've just saved us all. You know what um, else you were? A bee magnet. I was. I sure was. Yeah, that was. A, things went badly from there on in. Um, <laughs> and I, I think back on that moment now. Anytime I have like a, a sort of a sexy encounter with someone, my my uh, my friends like Steph. Remember the bees? And I'm like, yeah. But like the heart wants what the heart wants, though, man. <laughs> and the thing is, is like, surely you can't get a mouthful of bees again. Like you'd surely, think so, right? you'd think so, but I'm sure, if not as a callback, Larian will find a way to at least reference the bees in some way or have a similar thing happen. I yeah, I don't know. I, I just yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't yeah. put it past them. But I can't, I can't not want to put myself out there or take the sexy path because um, this is probably like one of the horniest games I think I've played outside of like dating sims. Yeah, it's just like they so know their audience. And it's hilarious how every exchange characters have can turn sexy so quickly. <laughs> like it's sometimes it's dialogue trees. Sometimes it's just the actors' performances. I think they're all just like also massive nerds. But like I was watching an interview with Neil Newborn who plays a starion. He's like my favorite character. Mm. He's a kind of very sassy kind of British. Um, the silver fox. Uppity, yeah. Yeah. There we yeah. Go. Kind of character. And he was saying that it was – one of the great joys of his life, not just to play a character from a game that is so beloved by its community and obviously seeing a lot of success and stuff, but he was like, I got to play out every iteration of this character's journey, like multi-universe journey, because you're recording so many different dialogue options. So like as an actor who becomes connected to a character through playing out their story, it was like, I got to play out the version of him that goes down this path or makes this choice or has this reaction, you know, over and over and over again, just different iterations, different like emotional responses to things based on what the player wanted to choose. And he was like, it's, it's a more powerful connection to any character I've ever had in my life because 
I got to go on so many different and varied journeys with them. Yeah. And I just, I think that's such a cool thing to be able to experience. That's got to be such a cool experience for an actor to be able to kind of take a character and, you know, characters mean a lot to you Mm. as an actor and being able to take a character and go in every single direction that you can with it. Yeah. Like surely it brings you even closer to that character than you would any other role, right? Totally. And a big part of what gives this character so much personality is the personality that this actor has injected into them and they have so many sassy one-liners and comebacks and put-downs and, you know, I just, I I think it's just, they're all so well-written but they've provided so much space for actors to just really play and experiment and make the characters their own so they feel really human. Well, not human but, you know, humanoid. Uh, And they've recorded all of their motion capture as well. Yeah. So even for an isometric RPG, that's super uncommon. I saw that they motion captured almost 250 people to just get the unique body language of so many different people. That is totally incredibly cool. And people picked up on it. You know, Shadowheart has this thing that she does with her head when she's talking that people were like, that's not something you've coded. Like yeah. that's a, a human mannerism that she just does when she's talking you know, particularly fervently about something, she kind of like tilts her head in a certain way (laughs) and people were like, oh, that's distinctly her. And you wouldn't program that necessarily, but they've captured all of that and it makes the performances feel particularly genuine. Absolutely. And you, have you played previous Baldur's Gate titles? Uh, You mentioned that you've played Divinity, but. No, I've played Divinity Original Sin and Divinity Original Sin 2. And so I knew that Baldur's Gate was going to be pretty similar. Yeah. How do you, Um, how do you think it compares? I think it's just it's the perfect kind of evolution of Divinity Original Sin because Divinity Original Sin was was a great story. It was a wonderful playground. You know, I would I would play through that game, but also just constantly be consuming content of how other people had interacted with it in more unique ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it takes a while, I think, to get yourself out of the video game headspace of like, oh, here are my options. It's yeah. like actually you have so many more options than that. Like try combining things in your inventory and just throwing them at someone and seeing what happens or try thinking about what would happen if you snuck around behind the thing and explored through there and maybe you yeah. find a there's a small rat and then if you <laughs> use a spell that gives you the ability to talk to animals and then you have a conversation with that rat and the rat takes you uh, it turns out the rat is depressed and if you ask the rat why it's depressed then it'll tell you its whole life story and then take you on a journey down a tunnel that takes you to another place do you know what I mean like it's like yeah. so many things can happen yeah. if you just think oh like what if this rat had something to say mm. And what if that was important? <laughs> like the amount of what if ac- I need to listen to this rat? That what's amazing about the game is that like there are there are two well there, I mean there are so many different spells but two significant spells that I think that are worth having in your party. Um, otherwise, you miss so much content in the game. Yeah. And one is um, being able to speak with animals. Yeah. And the other is being able to speak with the dead, yeah. because they have recorded entire conversations with animals and corpses that you would miss if you didn't have these. And they can give you extra information about things that are hidden, things that are related to the story, but you have to take the initiative Mm. to activate and use those spells in any given moment to get that. And you just, that's not, you're not guided in any way to do that. And so then I'm like, oh, we've, uh, we haven't spoken to an animal in a while. Let's see what that goat has to say. And the goat's like, I have been toiling in this mine my whole life. <laughs> you know, uh, my father's father toiled in this mine and I thought that I would be free and he, yet here I am, just another mining goat. Like, And you're just like, oh, man, like somebody's oh written God. this, somebody has recorded this with the knowledge that most people would bypass the goat. But like here I am having this like, you know, and sometimes it's relevant, sometimes it isn't at all. Sometimes it's just a goat's life, a day in a goat's life and they're just sharing, they're just venting. 
at that point you feel like you need to talk to every animal. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I there, would. therein lies the trouble with this game is that there is so much content that I, you live in constant fear of missing stuff Gosh. and you have to accept that that's a part of it. Wow. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. <laughs> that sounds huge. And, like, I, I really struggle with games that are big. Yeah. I never finished Elden Ring because yeah, it was yeah. too much. Yeah. But at the same time, it just sounds like there's so much in Baldur's Gate 3 that is so good that, that like, it seems like an unmissable experience. And that wouldn't be possible if not for how long it was in early access. I think so too. I did think you it, play it in early access? I did. I played up until the sort of end of the first early access area. Yeah. And then I didn't play it again after that because I didn't want to burn out on something that I knew I was already going to be replaying a number of times yeah. already. Um, and the biggest takeaway from early access that I believe that they've balanced now is that as someone who likes to talk my way out of things, we definitely got to a point in early access where we couldn't, we didn't have the sort of a, a attack power and ability to kind of progress and stay alive. Yeah. And the solution was to kind of go back to places we'd already been through and just kill a bunch of people. Grind. Which was like, I talked my way out of those fights so that yeah. we wouldn't have to do that. You know, whether or not it was like a moral choice is, is kind of beside the point. It's like, oh, I, I won that conversation so that we could avoid conflict. And that was a role-playing decision I made. And the game was kind of like forcing me to go back. And so they, that was a big, big piece of feedback from the very first early access and it feels so much more balanced now and I think part of that is also just having access to different classes and and stat roles and and things just being better balanced but it definitely feels like now it is a more well-rounded game for role players who just want to be more passive Mm. in saying that it is so hard to play passively because people will arc up at the small things oh really (laughs) yeah you can trigger you can trigger a fight in the most unexpected ways like sometimes you look at people wrong Sometimes you like, I don't know, you might say something that references a, a racial trait that they, you know, have sometimes like, you know. Oh, so I, you can accidentally be racist. I don't think you can accidentally be racist, but like I'm playing a drow and there are two, drows are like dark elves that live in the underdark. Yeah. And there are two different sort of factions of drow. One, a kind of slave wielding faction that kind of work the mines and have you know, people kind of just toiling for them and they follow this goddess called Lolf. And then there's the Seldarine, uh, which I'm playing, who are kind of like have broken away and are like, let's try and rally people to kind of fight these dudes who've just definitely become too, what do you call it? Zealotous. Oh, they've, uh, overzealous is not the right. Is that, is it? 
Anyway, so I'm playing a a Seldarine drow, but people see me and they're like, oh, drow. And so they're just like, oh, like they'll make a comment about, oh, like like, like I've uh, encountered a few gnomes. Yeah, I've encountered a few gnomes who are like, please don't put me to work in the mines. And I'm like, oh, whoa, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, no, 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 I'm the other ones. That's my cousins, that's my cousins. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so sometimes people will just see, you know, react to your your race. I I read an interesting thread actually about racism in the game. Yeah, I was about to say, that just sounds like, video game racism. <laughs> yeah, and it's I didn't of course being a white person didn't fully consider the ramifications of like racial interaction in in a in a game like this when I feel like racism is something that is an accepted not accepted, you know, in terms of like people enjoy it, but people understand that racism is a part of this fantasy world and so sometimes people will play a, an elf that is racist towards dwarves or something, you know. Mm. In the world of Baldur's Gate, uh, people have a lot of negative feelings toward tieflings mm. because of their physical resemblance to demons. Yeah. And uh, I, re- I read an interesting tweet from someone who uh, was playing the game, they're a black person, and was like, man, I just I go through life experiencing like pretty shitty microaggressions, uh, you know, racial-based interactions and stuff, and to come home and play a tiefling and have people make race and comics towards my character kind of sucks and they were like I love the game and I love everything about it and I'm not saying that it's like racism shouldn't exist in this world I believe it's part of you know uh, storytelling and it's an in it's something that doesn't have to be excluded from video games but like I tried to think about it if like imagine if one of the characters was just like super bigoted yeah. and you had a conversation with them they were just like wow like uh, you know, yeah, you you Whoa. dirty like woman loving. I feel like that would. I feel like people would react differently towards that. Yeah, you know, I feel like people would have a strong reaction to that. Whereas this is something they're kind of like, oh, I understand that this exists in this world, so like, yeah, that makes sense. And it's an interesting thing of like, definitely from what I've seen, like it does seem more like fantasy microaggressions than anything. Yeah, and it's like oh, it's not justified, but instead, it's like oh, there's a historical reason why this race doesn't like this race and it's yeah. still gross and it's still racism yeah. but rather than it being like this feels like, like oh you've got horns okay well then yeah you look like one of those dudes and so you suck it's like we haven't made up a new slur for tieflings it's just kind of yeah like the, the there's a historical distaste for them which which is interesting but i also would argue that and look it might be due to fantasy writers being predominantly white yeah but a lot of fantasy genres which do include a lot of fantasy races have kind of always had fantasy racism yeah i don't know if it's like people find it edgy to write or it's just like an easy storytelling me- not easy but like well, they're a trying storytelling to, they're mechanic. trying to ground it in reality and they're like historically this is a thing that has existed between yeah. different races so i should probably put it in i don't know i think it's like I think I think it's something that like because a lot of pe- I saw a lot of people res- like responding to the tweet like oh just don't play a tiefling it's like oh okay so you just like a-, a person of color who doesn't want to experience this kind of negative reaction directed directly to their character yeah just can't play this race like that seems a bit unfair and so I was like oh I guess if racism was something that you wanted to include as a storytelling device maybe you could include it with non-playable characters somehow I don't know it's a difficult thing to to consider but I feel like. I get it. I get how that would be a really shitty thing to experience. Also, people are allowed to just voice their feelings about a game. And personal experiences. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's like such a weird thing of like uh, I think that's something I really hate about 
the internet, but especially Twitter, now X, is like you can post something Mm. and out of your control it can fall into a completely different side of the internet. But like you just say voicing an annoyance. Yeah. And then people who you don't fucking know Mm. and didn't ask for the opinions of are coming in with advice that is just not wanted. Totally. Like, and it was 100% one of those situations where they yeah. did not expect it to blow up the way they did and then were forced to defend their love for the game to people who were just like, why are you hating on the best game ever? They were yeah. like, no, I love the game. I was just like <laughs> venting some frustration about some very like personal Yeah, it's a personal feelings it's, that I <laughs> It's a, an expression of the human experience. Like it's not like it's got nothing to do with you, you know? It's in it's so it's so frustrating. Like it's it's very cool that the internet is able to connect so many people and at the same time I think it also sucks hard because sometimes I and look this may be brash but sometimes I think people are fucking stupid and they need to shut up yeah man you see a tweet about somebody talking about how a game that they played featured racism and how they're kind of relating it to their own experience of racism and how that has kind of made them feel a bit strange. Why do you feel it necessary to to jump in and, and, and be like, don't diss my favorite game. <laughs> like, like, it's got nothing to do with you. Yeah. It's so bizarre to me. But yeah. also like the internet's always going to be like that, you know, and in fact it's just gotten worse. So it's, that's. It, it's It's also just like. But I feel like it's specifically bad in like the nerd and gaming community where I feel like we see both ends of the spectrum of people being so gloriously passionate about things that I feel like I don't see represented in other industries that, that maybe don't have a, as active an online community mm-hmm. or maybe people who have existed less physically socially, you know, and yeah. prefer to express themselves online more. Uh, so we kind of end up with this real kind of crucible of thoughts and opinions and ideas and, and rabid passion for stuff. Yeah. But it's so hard to kind of walk both sides of that line and be like, I love this community so passionate and then just be like, shut the fuck up. Like- Straight up. Like, like, <laughs> and I love, I love video games and I love gamers, man. Like I have been around gamers my whole life and it, it is so awesome to see people so passionate about such a cool industry. Mm. And at the same time, it's so frustrating to see people not get shit as simple as racism. And it was not to say racism, racism is simple, but rather like it, it shouldn't be a heated discussion that racism is bad. Like it, it should just be like, yeah, racism is bad, for example, you know, and like it's definitely interesting is what I'll say. Yeah. I think the other thing that's frustrating too is that it's like I feel like there's a, the broader perception of video games and like gamers in general is like, has been negative for such a long time that like anything we can do to kind of better our position Mm. (laughs) in in the sort of in society's understanding of of who we are and what we're about is going to be helpful for for all of us yeah and I just feel like there's just so much stuff that's just taken us like backwards so oh absolutely there's a lot of like the community shooting itself in the foot moments yeah Um, and as well I don't know I feel like the current state of the internet has kind of just made things five times worse and like I feel like I can say this as somebody who one is a gamer who was online and two at some point was a gaming journalist there is a very hostile attitude towards gaming journalism at the moment and it's yeah I feel like it's 
hostility that is being pointed in the wrong direction. Because I think people see like, look, I'm I'm going to say, people see Kotaku, for example, and they don't see it as a bunch of writers who all have different perspectives. Totally. They see them, they see Kotaku as this big spooky scary that is, you know, they're social justice warriors and they're, they're you know, they they got, they got shit takes and yada, 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 and not for the many different people that work there. And it's so frustrating because there has been a change in reporting in the, in the gaming journalism world. Like, like, you can't deny it. There has been a change in reporting and sure. a change in how things are written. And that's not the fault of the writers. No. From someone who has been in that industry, it is not the fault of the writers. It is the fault of the industry. Like yeah. it is SEO. It is, it is traffic margins. Like it is it's what's just, it's just trending. The, it's, it's the way people respond now to, to, to I guess, just clickbait yeah. based content. Um, it just, it can't really be denied or, or or competed against I feel like it's even just the same with developers you know like oh people God, yes. and fair enough like I get it there's like some massive mega developers and people will view like an Activision or an EA and be like you know I want I want to be able to hang shit on them for these like shitty practices around like the pe- the payment model and stuff like that mm. but like pe- like any small indie day of like game that comes out people feel like they want to write a 10,000 word essay on why this game sucks and like downvote it on Steam and oh it's, my God. I'm just I, I'm, I find it baffling that people think that people can divorce themselves from the idea of, of a bunch of people making a game like this. I struggle. I mean, I've always, I've never really particularly in, enjoyed giving any kind of score to video games. Mm. I, I I won't say that I disliked reviewing games because I love talking about games. I love pe- yeah. playing them and like sharing my experiences and my reactions to things. Love all of that. Yeah. A- a- applying a, a, a number out of 10 or whatever to it sucks. That was arguably the one of the best parts about writing reviews for Kotaku. That being said, I didn't actually write that many because I barely had the time to write reviews because I, I had to write a lot more short form content to get as much content out as possible because that is the state of the industry now because people, as much as they say they enjoy reading long form content, it's not what's getting traffic. It is breaking news and short form news that is getting the traffic, but and, and it's and it's backlash or reactionary content or like hot takes, hot takes. That's yeah. what that's what people are clicking on. And as much as you say that you like reading long form reviews or anything like that, it's not what's getting the traffic. So they, like, anyway, when it came to writing reviews for Kotaku, because they don't do scoring system, mm. instead. You just write a review. Yeah. You just write how it's like, it was, you feel. Here about was that my game. experience with this game. Yeah. And at I, the end of it, you can align yourself with those feelings or not. Yeah. But there's no like arbitrary number that's ranking it against other games yeah. for you to go and like hang your like money against, you know, whether or not it's it's yeah. worthwhile. And I understand like people want to be able to like definitively understand whether something was good or bad, but mm-hmm. like Video games are so freaking complex. Yeah, you know, even the most basic video games, is so, and there's so many, and they're so individual, and and you know, people's reactions to them are so objective. It's really hard to just say like, this game is a two, totally. because of these reasons. When the next person might have a freaking ball with it. Yeah. So yeah, I feel like games are so personal. You know, like I've recommended so many games to friends, and I've had them go like, this rocks, or it wasn't for me, and. 
I never get hurt because I know that if I recommend a game to somebody and they didn't like it, it doesn't change how I felt about the game. Yeah. I still loved it, yeah. you know, because every game you play is such a, a personal experience. And I feel like if there was such a desire at, some, at one point for the quote-unquote objective review of a game mm. and there is no such thing as an objective review of a game because everyone experiences games differently. Totally. But then if you like, if you express a strong opinion in uh, in any direction, yeah, then you're in- inviting the wrath of everyone who feels so strongly in the oh other God, direction yes. and it's not worth it. Yeah. Like it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Like I find it so funny when people get so mad about reviews being passionate one way or another because like babes just watch one episode of at the movies with margaret and david Mm. one episode those two will never agree on a movie yeah one of them hates it one of them loves it you know what the difference was they weren't online they weren't so they so it didn't matter they just lived in blissful ignorance of like people raging against their opinions and i feel like that would have been a game changer for me if i could just like have an opinion about something (laughs) Oh God, and put yes. it out there and then just like go on with my life yeah wow the only way I can get away with having an opinion like a passionate opinion on a game one way or another mm. is making a joke out of it yeah like if I didn't like a game a lot I have to make a joke I have to be like, oh this, this shit was doo-doo ass yeah okay uh i ate this up oh sure and, and it now gave that you me said that IBS. i feel like i've totally noticed that about you i feel like yeah. i've just done this really lame apologetic like oh I, it wasn't really for me but like you might like it or if you like this specific person who likes these things it might be for you also but like in my specific situation i was like super like like not specifically into it but like there might be another universe where i could totally be into it and it's yeah. just like shut up just like say so you don't like it just say you don't like it but it's it, yeah then it would also be representative of like oh women feel this way it sucks. It sucks to always bring it up. And I feel like people, you know, in the video game world will be like, oh, you know, can't you can't play the gender card this many times, but it's my favorite card, baby. <laughs> it's always in my pocket and I live it every day. And the thing is, is like, realistically, as a woman in video games, you kind of have to tiptoe around the shit that you say to make sure people don't get mad at you. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if you've got an opinion on a game that is, you know, negative and it's the exact same negative opinion of a game that a man has, chances are you're a lot more likely to be told that, oh, you don't know shit about it. Yeah. You don't know shit yeah, about yeah. that game. Yeah. This bitch, what does she know? Yeah. I feel like also like, now at least because there are at least a few more women around in the space doing stuff, yeah. I feel less like my opinions and actions are representative of the uh, like a female gaming community of Australia mm. uh, and I can just point to other women. So like now because I always felt like the need to clarify, listen, I am not amazing at Call of Duty. That doesn't mean women aren't amazing at Call of Duty. There are plenty of great women who are playing shooters and now the space is becoming like slowly more approachable and less toxic, you know, that will just continue to increase. But I was afraid to put myself out there and to not be the best gun, coolest, skilledest, gamerest girl in the world because anything that I did was then suddenly like measured against the idea of what a female gamer is because it was such a rare thing and such like a novelty thing. 
and and by the same token, I was ex- I was afraid to express enthusiasm for anything super feminine. Like I was scared to say that I enjoyed a Sims game. Sims I was rocks. I was scared. That sucks. I was scared. And look, to be fair, the the Sims wasn't super for me. But like I was constantly like afraid of how my choices would be measured against mm-hmm. women as a whole. And I feel like now at least I can just point to other women and be like, yeah, but like her, yeah. Absolutely. You know, you know, I grew up a, a, I grew up a tomboy and I always had what some would consider quote unquote boyish interests. Right. Mm. But like, you know, I always had a bit of a girly spin on it. And and I feel like it's, it's so (laughs) funny because it's just like, you know, we got it. We got to be twice as good for half the respect. And it's, it's so bizarre. Like, like, and once again, it comes back down to making jokes and being goofy. But, you know, I've taken absolute pride in being dog shit mm. at most video games because it's funny to me. Like, if I'm not good at a game, like, who do I have to prove shit to? Yeah. It doesn't matter. And I feel like the thing is you broke a lot of walls down for girls in games as well. And it's awesome that you don't have to be the quote-unquote voice for women in video games in Australia anymore because that is such a heavy burden to bear. <laughs> that is such a is such a ridiculously heavy burden to bear and it is not fair to put that on anybody. Yeah. I think I think a big part of it also is I'm just older and so like I care a, a bit less, which is pretty cool. You know. Awesome. You know, I I give less fucks as it were. And it's, I, it rocks to give less of a shit about what people think. Yeah. And yeah. I think also just like I'm more respectful of my own gaming enjoyment. <laughs> like True. Like I just want to do like in video games what makes me happy and that has been like super freeing. And so, and I think I immediately saw, even, even when I was a good game, I remember like the, the reviews where we just loved hard on something and it was just genuine, like excitement and passion were the things that people always responded to the best. And I think that is still true today where it's just like, it doesn't matter how good you are at something. People want to see you enjoying it and having a good time. And that's the energy that they want to be around. And while there's like a bunch of like clickbaity negative shit out there, like at the end of the day, that's like true north, you know, mm. just like sharing the the thing that you love and 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 lo- and like loving hard on it. And it's cool to love. It's it is it is cool to enjoy things. It is genuinely it is super uncringe to love hard. Oh. And what a way to end the episode. <laughs> That's the name of the podcast. I mean, the, this podcast episode. I it reckon. is not it's, cringe it is to love hard. super not cringe to love hard. I think yeah. that's a good way to end it as I well. I agree. I agree. Um, so I just want to say thank you again. Anytime. For thanks, thanks for your having service. me. Yeah. I'll be I'll literally, <laughs> literally anytime. I'll talk to you about life. I'll yeah. talk to you um, about Julia Stiles' great cinematic masterpiece, Save the Last Dance. Yeah. Whatever you want. Thank you. I'm here. And a big thank you to you for listening. That's right, you, the the girl reading this. <laughs> 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 Steph, where can we find you? Uh, heck, Steph, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. yeah, I do. I stream on Twitch a bit. Uh, I'm making stuff on social media, and I do a little bit of TV here and there. Um, pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. Love that. Thank you for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, why not give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're using? Better yet, why not give us a nice little review? This review is from someone you may recognize. Uh Uh-oh. This one comes from Goose Mangus. (laughs) I wonder who that is. That guy. Yeah. Title for it is Ruby is a five, in brackets, five, and then star podcaster. 
and he said, and I should know, I was on the first episode. And hey, if you really like what you're hearing and you'd like to hear more, consider supporting Back Pocket over on Patreon, where you can get access to our lovely Discord full of all sorts of buds. And if you support us at a certainty, you can get access to even more audio content just like this. You can also find us on Twitch, where we've got our main live show every Thursday from 7 p.m. AEST, and on TikTok, where we're constantly posting very good stuff for you to cast your big, beautiful eyes on. Constantly. And then there's the socials, a la X and Threads and Bebo <laughs> and Vampire I, Freaks. People love to throw it. Oh, Vampire Freaks! Yeah, right? <laughs> I had a Vampire Freaks Ooh, yeah. when my hair was its biggest. <laughs> <laughs> and you're also welcome to get around those socials as well. So once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And as a very sexual mind flayer would say, <gasps> bye. <laughs> <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.